Blog Talk Radio. Greetings and good evening. My name is Joelle and I am the Vibrarian. I am here to elevate, enlighten, and empower. I'm undertaking those activities just really for myself, but through this podcast, I have an opportunity to bring information to a larger audience. And so right now, I'm working through a series of episodes where I am discussing grief and the many ways that we experience it, which there is a common bond, but there is also a very personal and unique way that we each go through it. And my goal is having these voices and experts on to share from their wisdom so that we all can possibly elevate to a different level of processing. Now, the grief conversations are done live, and so you can call 646-787-8436, at least for the next few Thursdays, that is, and then you'll be able to catch this replay on all of the major podcasting forums. You can find us in iTunes and Google Music, and then also on the Vibrary YouTube channel for the audio-only replay. So uh, the links to find these will be in the episode notes. And, of course, you can connect with me on Facebook or Instagram, and that is at The Vibrarian, T-H-E-V-I-B-E-R-A-R-I-A-N. I do see that there are people on the phone lines. If you end up having a question or want to make a comment, just press the pound and the one key, and that will let me know that you want to come on the air and we'll get you worked in. So I'm inviting you to sit down for a little bit with me and my guests this evening and allow us to engage in what can be a tender conversation, of course, and we're hoping to do that with respect and a feeling of safety for everyone who is listening. So at the root of this series, I had an experience almost a month or a month and a half ago now where I was at a retreat with a group of about 20 women. And as people began to slowly open up over the period of the three days, two and a half days, I learned that several people had in the last year experienced the loss of like an adult child. I also knew two people who had recently lost an elder family member. And then while we were there, one of the ladies got a call that a beloved person had been killed that day in a motorcycle accident. So at that point, it was like five of 20 people, and my math is bad, but it's not that bad. I knew that that was a significant portion of people just in random connection who were dealing or maybe not dealing with grief in a way that was effective. And one of the ladies even had a loved one there, her sister, and her sister was saying, you know, she just doesn't talk about it. She just doesn't open up about it. And I wish I could help her more. And of course, the lady felt very isolated because she felt like, you know, no one knows what it's like to lose your child. So, you know, there were a lot of things that kind of tugged at my heart and that put out a call to me to try to see how I could help people like that. And so the grief conversations emerged from that point. My first week's guest, Miami Knight, is an author uh, who experienced personal tragedy in her life. 
that spurred her to do grief work and then become involved in various uh, organizations that were supportive to her experience. And then last week, Kalina Brown, who is a licensed professional counselor, spoke to us about what do you believe and how our belief frameworks can either help or hinder us as we begin to process the loss of a loved one. So we have been very focused about the grief that comes from, like, the death process of of losing someone either unexpectedly, tragically, or even at the end of their life in a more natural kind of timing way. But we, of course, are covering grief at all levels because we can experience this not just related to the loss of a person. And I think that from this point of where we are in the post-pandemic or the last two years, there certainly has been a lot of seismic change, and there are many, many things that we can be grieving. So tonight, my guest, I'm very delighted to have her on. I'm welcoming Essence Turner to the show this evening. Now, Essence is a guest that I've had on my podcast before, and she is a radical forgiveness coach. And I had never heard about radical forgiveness before, but she enlightened me, and we had a great conversation. I will put links to that in the notes to this show so that you can find it and uh, connect with that. Uh, But this evening, we are going to be focusing on the communication part, the unspoken part of sadness and grief. So, Essence, I'm just very, very honored that you uh, took the time to come out this evening and have this conversation with me. Welcome to the Grief Conversations. Thank you for having me. I am very honored to be your guest again. So for those who are now just being introduced to you, can you speak a little bit about the work that you do as a background that leads us into the, you know, trauma and grief processing uh, aspect? Yeah, so as a radical forgiveness coach, a lot of the work that I've personally done, not that every radical forgiveness coach does this, but I tend to draw in women who um, are in are desiring to heal their past, to love themselves, to forgive themselves, or even to forgive the person that has caused them to, you know, not love themselves, like mother-father wounds or even um, past relationships that have damaged their self-esteem. And so we go through the process of diving into those situations and incidents and healing those past memories, healing the, um, releasing the stuck energy in the body as a result of those situations. And I, I don't necessarily like work with grief in the way where people have lost someone I have, but it really shows up as heartbreak and as deep disappointment, things Mm. not working out the way that people thought they would, like relationships or business, Mm -hmm. and often forget that those levels of disappointment or failures or breakups result in grief as well, because Mm -hmm. grief is really a loss, and it's not just a loss of a person. It could be a loss of a relationship, a loss of a dream, and um, uh, that is what I would really love to talk about tonight. 
And that's just right on time because, as you said, that deep disappointment, right? That uh, feeling, right, of, of uh, like, being bereft, like really, as you said, heartbroken because something did not work out to the way that we had deeply, deeply wanted, right? There can be a an idea almost that we shouldn't, like, oh, it's just such and such, nobody died, right, is kind of how some of us receive that is say, well, I, this doesn't have value. It's not worthy of me crying over it. And we can enter those, uh, that judgment and shame and guilt kind of cycle uh, that happens for people. But if you've invested a great deal of effort, even like in, in work into a job, into a project or making a sales pitch for your business over time and extra hours and extra money for that to not work or in some way failure to launch or meet your success criteria, it can send people deeply into a depression. And that has to be acknowledged at some point. Absolutely. I'm glad you brought that piece up about um, a job because I had a client who uh, it was her decision to leave her job to go full-time in her business, but there was definitely a grief period in which she she thought that, you know, she shouldn't be grieving because it's her choice, it's her decision. But I'm like, you invested seven years into this place. You put your heart and soul in there, and you probably thought you were going to retire, and now all that's changing. You are changing, like the way you're going to yourself and identify is no longer going to be as this nurse, right? Like there's just, it's so much in this and just please allow yourself to feel it. And I really feel like it's so damaging when we say things like, oh, well, you know, it's not like someone died, but something Mm -hmm. dying and that's valuable as well. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's, That's part of, I think, then why people don't say, you know, I'm kind of feeling depressed, um, you know, after I did this thing or experienced this thing, because uh, there's, there's this idea that, well, I should just shoulder up. I chose it. So now I got to live with it. And there's no use crying over it because people won't even be sympathetic. And it's kind of like we can talk ourselves into further suppressing and and closing up that experience into our own inner world. Yeah, and that's the opposite of what you want to do. (laughs) (laughs) As soon as, um, especially if you can name it, if you can allow yourself to tune in and if it is grief, like name, like I am feeling grief or I am grieving the loss of such a dream that didn't come to be. I am dreaming the loss of a promotion, whatever that loss is. If you can put that word to like, I'm grieving because once you label it properly, then like you, you can handle it better. You can have treat yourself with more, love and tenderness and compassion when you go ahead and just tell the truth, which is I'm grieving, I'm experiencing sadness and deep loss over this thing, and then just allow yourself to just move within 
the ebb and flow of grief. I see, I see grief as um, if there was a element that it was attached to. I would say it's water um, because of the way that it just moves and in waves, and you can't really control it. And when it's pulling you under, you just have to surrender. And the worst thing that I see people do, especially in losing someone, is to try and fight that current, to try to swim to the top when grief is pulling you in. That's resistance. And if you Mm -hmm. can just allow yourself to surrender to the grief and just let it pull you in and take you inward instead of fighting against it, you will swim to naturally float to the top a lot faster than fighting and resisting your grief. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and one of the aspects, so like there's the teachings of like Elizabeth Kubler-Ross who kind of framed the first five stages of grief, which has evolved into a different kind of more um, expanded definition, but the sadness can just be one of the ways that we're experiencing grief. There can be anger mm-hmm. in the grief. And so a person who might be in that, like, anger because they had to do this, they had to experience something, getting through that to be able to get to the sadness part, the sadness may be something that is rejected I'm thinking even of divorced people. Like if you are going through a contentious divorce and relationship ending where there was a lot of anger is that, getting through the anger portion to the backside then of allowing the sadness when you're really pissed. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That can be uh-huh. with people as well. Absolutely. I, I I was speaking to someone um, and she told me that basically like she doesn't allow herself to feel anger. And I was just explaining that like I feel like anger is, is such a beautiful emotion, especially when we know how to hold anger constructively. It's not meant to be, you know, uh, exploded onto other people, right? So like I have a cushion that I beat. Mm-hmm. And I have a, a racket and a cushion that I beat to help process and get out my anger. And it's like one of the best things that you can do. And to me, one of the most beautiful things that you can do is like honor and hold space for the anger that you feel uh, when something has changed in your life, when something or someone is lost, uh, not making yourself wrong for it. A lot of um, a lot of people do have shame around feeling anger, and that they shouldn't be angry and try to rationalize themselves out of being angry instead of just saying like I'm angry and it's okay, and then doing whatever like you personally need to process your anger. Hmm. I actually remember your Instagram reel that you did about the pillow and the racket thing, which is good, right? Because how much content do we see on social media? But I think I remember it was scrolling by and then I saw you like banging away. I was like, wait a second, let me unmute this and see what she's talking about. And then I showed up, it made me giggle, but I was like, yeah, I mean, like we should feel more free. And you set a good example of that in your thing. Like, 
yeah, like let's do this in a safe way instead of punching a hole in the wall or self-harm or arguing and screaming with somebody or raging against the machine. Get your pillow and your racket, you know. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) That teaching worked, just so you know. (laughs) I saw it. And and I do uh, also what I like to call anger journaling. And I'll just, you know, like pull out my pen and paper and I just like let it rip, you know. Uh, it could be either to dear God or to, you know, this person, I'm so effing mad at you, whatever. I just like peeing hard <laughs> into that paper. Mm-hmm. And it's like I'm channeling the anger through the paper. So we all have to find our different ways to process anger uh, because a, a lot of us, you know, like to explode on other people. Even if it's accidental, it's still like a, mm-hmm. still like a good reward in that moment. But then mm-hmm. what happens after you got to deal with the guilt and shame for, you know, exploding mm-hmm. on someone. Oh, <laughs> so yeah. That, you know, that's, yeah. That, you know, that, that can cause further... You know, that can cause exactly. further harm. Like if the chi- if your child, let's say you're a parent, and uh, you know you've done a job or career change, and you're you're processing through unspoken grief that is manifested as anger and resentment, or uh, just really being pissed off, you know, and the child can feel that, and they're going to probably get some spillover in terms of uh, you know, walking on eggshells maybe, and uh, you know, because mommy's broody or daddy's broody right now, and I don't know how to help them, and I, they say it's not because of me, but I don't know if it's because of me. It really can be something that reverberates around an intimate echo chamber of our home or even workplace, you know, if it's something going on there. Absolutely. And it is so important, like, to do the process and work when you're going through this, because if you, um, when you have kids, because they're, they don't know how to articulate, but they're very sensitive and they can pick up on energy. And so you may think that you are keeping your anger to yourself or your sadness to yourself, but they can feel it. Mm-hmm. Everybody can. Like when you talked about, you know, focusing on the unspoken part of this, when something is wrong with someone, we know it. We may not know what, and we may reflect that, well, it's their private business. I don't want to pry, but clearly something is wrong because they come into work and they slam their door and then I hear them crying, I think, through Zor, or they've stopped speaking to people or, you know, all, all the ways that we can close ourselves up as we're not communicating that, then that reflects the closure of people's communication to us, back to us, because people don't know how to navigate and, and get you to open up if you clearly kind of shown, I'm not trying to talk about this. <laughs> That that is true, um, and you know what? Sometimes you don't want to talk about it, but that's why I think that journaling piece is so important because it's like, can you you know talk to God or your higher self or you know whoever you might talk to? Uh, can you even Mother Nature? Can you 
pull out your journal and start to express yourself there? Can you pull out your paint and canvas and express yourself there? Can you go for a walk and just, like, let yourself get lost in nature? So finding your own ways to help these uh, emotions move through you so that they're not stuck and they're not affecting the people around you. Mm-hmm. When people approach you to begin working um, with your coaching and services, are they generally aware of, like, specifically, I'm, I'm here because I might be in anger, grief, et cetera, or are they kind of coming because they're wanting to address things from, like, a more mundane level, and as you do the work, then you get down into the nitty-gritty, or is it kind of both? Uh, I would say both. Um, you know, people are more aware now than they used to be, and then I have been drawing a lot of uh, other healers, so they're a bit more aware, um, tend to be, Uh, but I can tell you that um, one woman, I don't know if I told this as part of my forgiveness story on the podcast last time, but one woman, she heard me sharing my story on another podcast, and it, it brought her to tears, and she didn't really know why, but she knew, like, she knew something was off with her because she she's a healthy eater and she loves to work out, but she had stopped doing all these things and just kind of started isolating herself. But she couldn't really quite put her finger on what it was, but she knew she didn't want to continue living that way because she was basically not living in alignment with her values. Of, you know, she was a, um, a health coach. And so she didn't know what it was, and so she brought – you know, everything she was sharing, she brought to me, and we did, um, like, I like to do shadow work in the beginning, which is, you know, just asking questions and deep diving into the past, and what happened five years ago, she got a divorce, and she'd been telling herself, like, I'm good, it was clean, you know, everything's done, uh, I think I handled it really well, but, like, when I started mm-hmm. poking at it, there was still so much pain there, and she didn't allow herself to grieve the divorce. She immediately went to, like, I'm going to be okay. This is what he wanted. I'm go- I just got to rebuild my life, you know, and she just went mm-hmm. into building and never really acknowledged the pain in her heart. And we spent three whole months just processing the anger and grief with mm-hmm. her divorce that she, quote, unquote, thought moved past. Mm-hmm. How many times we heard that? I'm good, right? I'm good. I did my, you know, I had a few cries, but I'm good, you know. I think last week Kalina said, you know, you can say, you know, a person's house could burn down, their grandmother died, they were in a car accident and uh, lost their job all in one day, and you could be like, how you doing? They're like, I'm good. <laughs> you know, and it's like, are you really, though? Like, it's okay to not be good under the circumstances, you know, and giving that permission yeah. for us to not put the happy face on all of the things that we're dealing with. That's huge to give yourself permission to even then say, I matter enough to examine my deep shadow self and my unprocessed feelings. Absolutely. Um, it takes it takes courage. It does take like 
valuing, valuing like the way you want to feel. Because if you know that it's been months and you, or even years, some people go through this for years where they know they are not feeling their best. And they might look at old photos and just think like, oh, I used to be happy then and think that it's Mm -hmm. just over and like continue to move knowing they are not happy, knowing they are not at peace. And it does take valuing feeling good, feeling better, feeling like high vibe and not just like positive, happy-go-lucky, you know, fake high vibe, but like I value feeling um I value feeling gracious and centeredness mm-hmm. over being stuck in shame and uh, what are some of the lower vibrations, sadness or resentment. So even myself, if I catch myself in those lower vibrations and I cannot pull myself out, I will get help. I will pay for help because I value being in those higher frequency emotions. Mm-hmm. Now, have you noticed since 2020 then that, more people have been willing to get help in terms of getting new calls and clients. Yeah, 2020 was was my best year. And even just online, like what I see now of people, um, I had a consult the other week and she told me, she was like, I called in to work today and I I just told them I needed a mental health day. And I'm like, even that, is something that people weren't doing in the past. They weren't openly saying, I need to take a mental health day, mm-hmm. right? It would have been like, mm-hmm. I need to go, I got to go to the dentist. <laughs> right, right. We tell our friends it was a mental health day, but we wouldn't tell our supervisor. <laughs> uh, yeah, so like the, the, just the conversation, and I was watching this comedy show on NBC, uh, and they were talking about trauma bonding, and it was just, mm-hmm. it's just, it's just so beautiful to now see these conversations happening more um, openly, and people are reaching out for help now more, I think, than in the past. And one of the things that I've had to work through in putting myself out there as a radical forgiveness coach is that my, my mentor he used to say forgiveness isn't sexy. And, mm. you know, this isn't necessarily something that that people want. So I have had to, like, work through, you know, those limiting beliefs that were projected on to me. And what I and, – and I was talking to his wife the other day because she said it, and I said – I just need to tell you something because he's passed on now. And I, I need, I said, I need to, as we're going into a new phase of radical forgiveness, I need to tell you something. And she's like, what? I said, you said on, on the call with the new team that forgiveness isn't sexy. I said, they're, they're new. They've never heard him say this to them. This is sexy. And then now we're in a new era. Mm-hmm. This is People are looking to do this work. People are really desiring to, to heal and to feel better and to process this emotion, the, their emotions. And I said, I am much sexier on the other mm-hmm. side of radical forgiveness mm-hmm. than I was when I was drunk, hot, hurt, and mess. <laughs> right, right. 
That's so true. I mean, anybody who's plugged into like the social versions of the conversations that are being held, which of course we take that with a caveat. I think one in six or seven posts is going to be some wise words about forgiveness. It's for yourself, not the other person. You know, forgiveness is the gift you give. You know, all that kind of stuff is out there. But it also then while it's a common conversation and you could say, oh, I've forgiven someone, I, I've forgiven myself, you have to kind of dig a little bit to see, well, are you actually embodying that forgiveness then if, you, if it's a belief, if you've actually done it? How is that forgiveness showing up in your life or how is the release of that circumstance showing up because I think that examination and journaling and things like that, if you really sit, you might find out, hmm, I might have missed some dust bunnies over in a corner because when this comes up, all of a sudden I'm finding myself like, oh, wait a second, I, maybe I still have a little residual feeling there. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I always say that uh, if you – are questioning at all, like if you're still like, well, have I forgiven my dad? Then you haven't. If it, When you know, you know, you feel it in your body. Um, I can remember uh, I, I was talking to an old boss one time, and we were, after my dad had passed away um, in 2018, and I was just telling him about, you know, how my dad didn't raise me and my abandonment issues and you know, my forgiveness journey. He was like, oh, I don't know how you could forgive that. Like, you know, he, there, there's no way to forgive not being there for your child. And I'm listening to him. You know, this is his truth. This is how he feels. But there was nothing inside of me mm-hmm. being drawn mm-hmm. back into that way of thinking. Mm-hmm. That had to feel yeah. very positive for you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, it, it I knew it when it happened, like I really felt something click in my body. Forgiveness is not just uh, a mental, like a mental is an aspect, but it is really a feeling, it's a felt experience. You know it in your body when you have forgiven. And uh, Ayama says, um, true forgiveness is when you can say thank you for that experience. So if Mm. you're like miles away from being able to say thank you for that experience, then there, there's still work to do. Mm-hmm. I heard a lot of thank yous for that experience that don't have the a good resonance in terms of actual gratitude. (laughs) (laughs) It's like, you know, because I think at a level that, that we factor in that, you know, I can't go back to that employer, the big company, and go to HR and say, you know, thank you for not addressing the concerns that I had when I was in the workplace. Or, you know, there's just not an opportunity if, uh, like, your a parent has died. So that's part of the whole, well, it can only get to this level, and I've resigned myself to that. So I thank him. At least now I know what a daddy wasn't. Right? Again, mm-hmm. not the the framing of healing uh, that would best serve us. 
Well, what I say, like what I can, I thank him for doing doing his job. Like this, he was that wasn't a part of my journey. My my journey did not include having a father. Mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. was not part of my soul mission, and that's just like the way that I choose to see it and frame it. Mm-hmm. And had my life been any different, had he been in my life, I would be a totally different essence. Mm-hmm. I might not even sitting here on this podcast with you because I wouldn't have had the same level of pain that I went through in my life because of my abandonment issues. So I might not even have the desire to help other people. One Mm -hmm. of my strongest desires of wanting to help others is because of the the pain that I've experienced. So Mm -hmm. like when I just really see that it was never supposed to be any different Mm -hmm. and I just really trust like if I went back in my mother's womb and started this journey all over again, the same thing would happen. He would hear my mom was pregnant and run off to the army. Like that mm-hmm. is just that is just my soul's journey. And so mm-hmm. I can just I, I thank him for doing his part in bringing me into the world. Mhm. I mean, I think I have a very similar, or he evolved to a very similar belief system which that's what, it, you know, personal spiritual belief system is that our challenges are soul growth agreements, that there was something in this experience that he also agreed to for the shaping of his soul's perspective. Uh, you know, and that can be somewhat, uh, as you said, transformative if one is in that operation um, but for a lot of people, that will be the result of healing work. It's not where you sit at the beginning, of course, as you've you've shared. That's an evolution, <laughs> you know. Yeah, yeah. It took it took several months to get to that place, and before you can even be at the place of saying thank you, you do have to deal with the process, the the anger and the sadness or whatever the emotions are for, you know, the individual person, like to process those heavy emotions so that they fall away so that you can rise to the higher vibrations of finding and experiencing gratitude in a not-so-great situation. Mm-hmm. And it's just so many layers to doing inner work. And I do think that it is an ongoing thing that we can develop tools to constantly be in touch with and processing our emotions, be they anything, not just grief. It's super important in the grief area, but it's not unimportant in the other areas of our life. And sometimes that tragic or challenge moment then is the catalyst where we go to somebody, we go to a therapist, we go to a coach, and then we develop tools that we can use differently going forward in a more active way. And that's a lot of what you're doing with your clients, right? Absolutely. Yeah, we we mainly, uh, yeah, that's one of the main things that we do is process emotions. It's not really like therapy. It's not a whole, whole lot of talking. It's more like a whole, whole lot of getting to work. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, for instance, I just finished up with a client healing um, sexual trauma uh, that she's carried since high school 
uh, and she's like in her early 30s now. And so once we do the initial, like her sharing her story, then the next is really just about processing emotions, pulling out the pieces that are really still, you know, stuck in her memory that are hard for her to speak. And like we tap through them, um, and I'm talking about, you know, EFT, emotional freedom technique, or uh, mm-hmm. I do a lot of visualization with my clients because that that situation, that abuse that she went through, it's no longer here. It's in the invisible. It's inside of her somewhere. Like for her, it's like really in her throat. And so it's like we need to visualize and go inward to the that the invisible place where that pain still lives because it's not here. You can't see it, can't touch it. She's not in high school anymore. And so a lot of the work that I do is in the inner world because that's where the pain gets stuck at. And in therapy, you're just like talking, 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 and not really going into where the emotions are stuck in the body. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, yes, I would say they um... – I don't want to use those, I don't know what the word is, but it's not alternative therapy because it's more mainstream than that. But like, you know, the typical cognitive behavioral therapy approach is to figure out like, okay, where am I processing something? Where's my behavior exhibiting? And when I'm aware of the behavior, then I get tools to shift my responses going forward so they're more healthy. But it's not always then, like you said, the more spiritual release of like the inner child, the inner teenager crying it out or expressing the fact of the fear or the violation or the sadness that they felt even at that early age but didn't have the words to articulate, you know. So it is definitely a new therapy kind of opportunity that has arisen for people. And I think it's answering a need that the traditional systems were not necessarily open to in their right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Because when you think about the, let's say the behavioral aspect for her, one of the things was like not speaking up, not showing up. Well, when the opportunity came that maybe she needed to speak up for herself, it's like that thing in her throat would just, like, close up, clench up. So Mm -hmm. she couldn't, it felt like she couldn't speak up for herself or that she couldn't, it didn't feel safe to be seen in her business. And so just like this clenching happening in her throat. Well, we needed to go in there and talk to that. (laughs) It was like a Mm -hmm. thing like a ball of energy which was like her inner child and we needed to talk to it and listen to it and let it cry through her adult self to mm-hmm. dissolve. And now she just she just started her podcast and on her very first podcast mm-hmm. she shared and said the words I was raped. She could mm-hmm. not say those words before. Mm-hmm. She wasn't even sure she was she was raped. Like she wouldn't let herself even look at it in that light mm-hmm. until like she started moving some of the energy and emotions emotions and then it wasn't as scary for her to tell herself the truth about what happened. And now mm-hmm. be able to move forward and share her truth with other people. Mm-hmm. I was thinking how emotions, you know, are a 
vibration and an energy that continues to reverberate outward. So if you're a person who has been like raped, as you said, um, or uh, experienced like a deep loss as a child, then you will continue to probably be violated in terms of your boundaries it, because you can, you know, that was what is at the heart of that, you know, rape was a, an intimate violation. And so it's almost like reinforcing that experience when you can't then speak up for yourself to say no in a time because you're responding out of stress and that closed throat chakra, or if you're suppressing anger rather than it putting out a healthy boundary before it gets to anger because you couldn't do it as a child, that's the reverberation continuing until we can shift something to create a new energetic signature to move forward. A thousand percent because after high school, she uh, had two other um, violations, you know, was sexually violated two other times and uh, found it very hard for her to speak up and say no or, like, this is unacceptable. Um, so you're absolutely right. Like, when that pattern, um, that pattern is imprinted and you don't clear it, it does continue to reverberate out and then draw in people in situations that, you know, are in alignment with that energy. Mm-hmm. And, and not even the extreme of being violated. It was also, yeah, people violate, you know, family violating boundaries. And then now she mm-hmm. has learned to be able to say no and be okay if somebody's, you know, mad about her saying no. You mm-hmm. know, so it's just her clearing her throat, her clearing that energy of, by, of being violated is really given her power in so many other areas of her life. Mhm. I mean and I mean we all know somebody I think that you know experienced uh like a loss of a parent when they were young and they continue to then have the loss of parenting figures be they like if they're looking to their partner to be a parental figure and they lose the relationship, if they're in a workplace environment and then a supervisor role winds up being transferred or moving to another job and that was your your surrogate parent nurturer through that paradigm, then going back into that grief again of that little child who had to go to the funeral and didn't understand what was happening, right? So it's not just, uh, you know, trauma that reverberates. It's all of the things around uh, intense emotions that are are the kind of emotional situations that shift us. They're, they're remembering, they're impacted, and they're deeply generally on the hurtful side of the spectrum, you know. Mm-hmm. That reminds me of when I was, Okay, so as a kid, you know, you don't know that you have abandonment issues, but somewhere the soul must must know, right? The energetically, your your body knows that it's experiencing a loss. Maybe it's, it's because of you know me seeing some of my family members they had their dad around. But I can remember in kindergarten being with my teacher. Her name was Miss Marine, but Miss Marine's class got too big. 
And so they split it up and I had to go to Miss Fox's class. And mm-hmm. I remember still to this day that I just cried like mm-hmm. like I was being kidnapped. And I, it was just so hard to handle and adjust. And then when I, so that was kindergarten. And then when I was in the eighth grade, I was playing um, volleyball. And Miss Marine, my initial teacher, she, she'd left the school, I think, maybe after that year. But anyway, I hadn't seen her in like eight years, and I was playing volleyball against her daughter's school. And I saw Miss Marine eight years later, and I just broke down on that volleyball court. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> I wanted to get like, out of tears now. But I didn't know, like, that was just that, that abandonment issue, just mm-hmm. like coming to the surface. And like, that was, that was one as a child abandonment issue that I just still uh, a bad situation of abandonment that I remember so vivid, vividly as a kindergartner. And mm-hmm. it just had, it went on to continuously repeat where let's say like my best friend moved away in sixth grade and I had to like mm-hmm. leave that long for so long. I just cried like an entire summer. Just like throughout my life, I've experienced abandonment in so many different ways because, you know, I didn't know it, but it was like that that pattern, that energy was just following me down my timeline. Mm-hmm. And so for you, like, then coming to a transformational thought of, okay, it was not necessarily abandonment. It was it was a part of my experience rather than part of the story of you per se as an abandoned person, then that enabled you to experience it. But you also did have your grief, you know, along with that, like you said, crying on the volleyball court. And that was okay too. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's so funny because I still do, even though I have like my spiritual reframe, I still do identify as someone who has had abandonment issues. And mm-hmm. and I also have to, because like that's my human part. And I don't mm-hmm. want to spiritualize like Essence's experience, like because that was mm-hmm. deep and painful and, you know, the long time of carrying that. Um, so I do still identify, I just don't, I don't allow it to be my main story. And like when my best friend moved away from Atlanta to Florida in 2018, I immediately wanted to be like, she's leaving me. I'm just starting to do these goddess circles and she know I need her support. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, that's, that's why I've been doing this stuff. <laughs> and I was able to catch it. And, you know, and not make it about me. And it's like, this doesn't mean that she's leaving you. This doesn't mean that she doesn't love you. Like, I still had to talk that essence, like, back into safety and back into knowing, like, you're okay. And I got you. She's not abandoning you. She's one state away. You know, like, I still Mm -hmm. had to talk myself off the ledge because, like, that energy is still there. But it just, it's not, it, it can't just come over and take control of my life anymore and um, of my stories and of my beliefs. And that is what a lot of people still struggle with is like when that trigger happens because they haven't cleared that energy, it's like they just get, they get, you know, drawn right back into the story. Mm-hmm. Or they create a new one of 
oh, I, I should be better. They feel, you know, that's where the guilt yeah. and the shame come in. Like once you realize it's like, oh my gosh, I am a forgiveness coach. I've done so much work. I shouldn't be feeling a bit, you know, no, there, that part that we do with it, then to make negative where there really is no negative, we can allow ourselves the space to say, oh yes, that was a behavior. And I did respond, but now I see it, and I'm going to work with it and not judge it. Absolutely, and that is such a good point where because I just, I have to have that conversation sometimes with clients where it's like, oh, I wish I would have, you know, dealt with this before. I, I should have dealt with this in the past, and I, and I just, like last week, said, what if you had have went to therapy and they just talked, you guys just talked about it every week. You never went in and healed your inner child. You might have a whole new different story that this is something that you have to live with for the rest of your life. You're never going to be able to get through with this. Like, so you don't need, you don't even know if therapy going back, you know, five, ten years ago would have actually really helped you. You might have just had a new story that you're stuck in, and we'd still be here working through not just the right, but also the story that you can't heal. I was thinking like the kindergartner self or the sixth grade self. A lot of us, you know, I'm 50, right? So I could be, honestly, in a place of kindergarten or elementary school when it comes to learning myself. And we don't judge a kindergartner for being in kindergarten. You know what I'm saying? We don't judge a sixth grader who's just learning how to write cursive. We don't say, oh, my God, you know, you should be doing such as we, we show such compassion to kids with for where they are in their learning level. And a lot of us are walking adults, but inside we're very much not have not been an emotional processing school, if you will. And so to allow ourselves to learn the kindergarten letters of our inner world and then begin to make sentences and then to begin, you know, like allow ourselves to learn and grow and develop new emotional skills. Yes, that I love that because my grandfather was my only, um, like basically, well, not my only, but because uh, I had like my cousin's dad, which like, they were in-laws um, that were kind of like father figures, but my grandfather, you know, like that was my blood. And so like my father figure that I wanted to call when I got good grades and that kind of thing. But he passed away when I was 14 or 15 and I didn't process my uh, grief. I can remember them saying she didn't even cry. She, mm. she hasn't even cried. Yet. I can remember overhearing that. And I can remember still just trying to go be with my friends and pretend like nothing happened. Oh, and also I was sexually violated during that time as well and then couldn't feel, feel like I could tell anybody we were already grieving as a family mm-hmm. and this thing happened. So I just pushed everything down. And um, so I won't say to this day, but up until recent years, I still handle 
like death, loss, uh, like a teenager. Like, mm-hmm. like I don't like, not like a forgiveness coach, but like a teenager, like, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I don't know. It's just like a deer in headlights kind of look like that's the first place I go to. It's like the teenager just kind of takes over and I don't, I don't judge it. It's like, I know that I am still myself learning to deal and process grief associated with like losing a person. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's just really interesting. So like now, like my grandmother just passed away um, last December, um, which is his wife that my grandfather mm-hmm. was telling you she was mm-hmm. And so I just kind of like the witness of like, okay, how am I going to grieve this? How am I showing up? Not putting any rules or limits and just allowing myself to go through the, the grieving process, whether it's going to be the teenager showing up, acting like nothing ever happened, or whether it is the healer in me. And it was it was actually just kind of like a process of both. Mm-hmm. And I just let the both be there. And I just decided that I'm not going to be hard on myself for how I grieve or judge myself as grieving wrong because so many people grieve differently and I don't even know like maybe this is just my way of grieving this first act like nothing happened I mean I know I think that's one of the stages I'm like I'm Mm -hmm. not going to judge myself and think that I should be better or past it because I am a forgiveness coach and I'm just going to like allow myself to move through my grieving process how whatever feels natural for me and it when I did that it was actually very beautiful and peaceful Mm-hmm. I, I think one of the expanded stages of grief that uh, we spoke about earlier is actually emotional paralysis or numbness. So, you know, there's a recognition there that, like, you know, it's just pause. Like, I'm just here, right, experiencing mm-hmm. it and then engaging beyond that initial I don't know how to feel moment. Yeah. I think that nuance yeah. is really good because it shows, again, the evolution of our conversation about the processing of the deepest of our inner experience. I, I think that grief is probably one of the most intimate of our challenging experiences because it is such a thing that, like you said, it has broken your heart you know, in some way, shape, or deeply, deeply caused pain response in you. Yeah, it it is. It's very intimate and personal. And, like, when my dad died in 2018, at that point we had been connected for about four years. We hadn't seen each other, but we'd been talking on the phone at least a couple times a month. Uh, he had it his way. We talk every day, but I'm not a phone person. But um, what I initially thought, like, oh, you know, this is horrible. Like, this will be easy. Like, you know, he wasn't around most of my life. Like, this this will be easy to get, like, get through. It's not going to take that long. And mm-hmm. I can just remember the next day after I heard the news, it was like I could feel my DNA changing. 
from going to a person, from a person who my dad is alive to a person who now, like, I don't have, you know, a human biological father. And mm-hmm. I could just feel the change happening in my body. And it just, like, it just pulled me in. Like, and I was just sleeping all day and I didn't have energy to eat. And I was so surprised of how that grief took a hold to me and I was you know like but my dad wasn't even in my life why am I feeling like this I just surrendered surrendered to it and like one day I might feel good and up and then the next day or three I don't want to get out of bed and I just let myself ride that wave of grief but it was really surprising to me how Mm -hmm. you know took me in and I was telling the story of you know, well, he wasn't in my life all these years, so it's not going to be as painful. Mm. That's very interesting. I know that there are people who are going to be able to resonate with that experience. Uh, I, I just know so many people who did not have a parent presence on one side or the other in their life. And, you know, it's something we talk about, you know, from the standpoint of midlife, you know, and it shaped how they then chose to show up as parents when it came to their experience, in some cases better in their eyes, and maybe in some cases not not having good tools because they didn't have a model, you know, so uh, that. That's just very interesting because you're really giving yourself then permission to say, well, it's okay if I didn't feel anything because of that, and it's okay too, either way. It's okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, either way, it's okay. And a part of it also is, again, is that identity shift because, you know, for some people, even if your dad never came back into your life if they pass away it's still like you have the identity of like my you know my dad is still here my dad is still alive even if you don't think about it that's who you are and then if they pass like that identity shifts you're no longer Mm -hmm. that person with your your you know whether mother father whatever you're no longer that person that has that living parent Mm -hmm. and just shift in identity alone can like create heartbreak or create the questions of like who am I or what am you know why am I here um Mm. so my point in saying that is just like not trying to logically make sense of what may be happening in your body and just surrender to what is coming up for you but also if nothing is there you don't have to make something be there but mm-hmm. if it is, allow yourself to really to feel it and allow whatever to come up, come up without making it wrong or making yourself feel lame because you're feeling something and this person was never there for you. It's like don't do that. There's still that inner child that probably still have hopes that one day, you know, that parent is going to be there that's going to come around, and now that dream is dying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You have to kind of close the door on the, the – vision that you created, you know, as that that what if possibility that the imagination can do. Mm-hmm. I do have 
I would say we do have callers who are listening on the line, and oh. we've got a caller who has uh, raised their hand. So we're going to check in and see what they want to bring to the conversation here. Uh, let me see if we can get the line on. Hello, caller. Hello, hello. We're getting some airplane sounds. <laughs> so welcome to the Grief <laughs> Conversations. Hi, thank you guys for having me. It has been so interesting thus far, Essence. Um, I totally understand exactly what you're saying. I I have had uh, had to deal with grief um, that did not involve uh, a death per se, um, mm-hmm. but it did uh, it did in fact affect how I lived my life. Um, I was involved in a car accident and shattered my pelvis. Well, for two days, I was in shock just because of what ha- what happened. And um, I listened to my orthopedic surgeon, and he told me this, and he told me that, and he put it back together and said, you know, well, you're not going to be able to walk on it for three months. Well, in my processing of the grief that I was going through, in my head, he didn't know what he was talking about. I didn't yeah. care that he was a doctor and that he probably did know what he was talking about. Six weeks, I said, take me to a door frame and let me just stand up because I'm sure I can stand up. <laughs> I'm positive I can stand up. I can't do this to me. Well, I went to the door frame and instantly, yes, he was correct. I can't stand up. I have to do what he said that I had to do. And then that's when the grief jumped on me. And I was upset because I could not do anything that I wanted to do. I couldn't do it by myself. My entire life changed. The way that I operated changed. I had to depend on others. That was not something that I was accustomed to necessarily doing. So I grieved the change of my life, the way that it was going to be. It was wow. the hardest. It was it was the hardest um, thing I've ever probably had to do. And that was just relax and go through it because that was the only way to get around it. You couldn't get around it. You had to just go through it, deal with it, and feel it. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, I would say as you were processing then, like they talk about the five stages, that first one would have been denial, right? Right. And then right. You have what, anger. Uh, I can't remember all five of them, but denial, anger, resentment, bargaining, I think is one, Uh, depression, and then acceptance. And it's not a linear process. It's kind of a ping pong in between all those phases. Did you experience that? I did all of those things, all of those things, because I had five months to sit and go through it all for five months to just realize, well, you're not in control. There are things that you have to do if you want a different outcome. So then I had to learn how to be accountable 
you, you have, you're accountable for your actions. You're accountable for how you want it to change. So then I had to determine how I wanted it to change. Well, the way I wanted it to change was I wanted to be able to walk. I wanted to be able to do everything that I needed to do for myself and not have to have someone else do it for me. And then I wanted to be able to show other people how to do the same thing. So that helped pull you through the personal grief part then to begin to focus your efforts eventually towards outward. Uh, Yes, Uh, it it did. It, you know, talking to my friends uh, and my best friend uh, came up with something that gave me the drive to get up every day. And my name's Tanya. (laughs) So we call it TTR. It was called Total Tanya Recovery. So giving it a name and giving it um, something to drive to. I I have TTR every day. And I tell other people about TTR. And I put their name in it and tell them what it is and why it is and how it was the driving force and how it can continue to be the driving force for living, for living life every day, 100%. You don't have to stay in grief. You, you, you see it because you don't want to put a blanket on it. You don't want to cover it up, and you certainly don't want to stick your head in the sand. You want to look at it and say, I see you, and I'm not afraid of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was this just really what jumps out is like that surrender, the level of surrender that it must have taken to just when you realize that you couldn't do the things that you were thinking you were going to be able to do. Well, I realized that laying in the bed in traction, (laughs) I couldn't get up. I couldn't Mm -hmm. run away. I couldn't retreat. I had to sit here and deal with it, deal with everything. Mm -hmm. Do you still experience any, like, now post all of that recovery, when you revisit or look back, do you still then experience an aspect of the, the sad part for the loss of what was? Um. I guess maybe a long time ago, my accident was in 2006. So I I, I forget now that I, you know, I have a shattered pelvis. Uh, I think that it definitely changed me into the person I am right now um, because it made me stronger. It made me know what you could do when you put your mind to it, when you believe in yourself. You could do anything. You see, that's like you were saying, Essence, that you would not be who you had shaped up to be were it not for that challenging formation experience. Absolutely. Yeah. Totally. Totally. Uh, Tanya, I just want to say another thing that this is just like, but uh, thank you for sharing this because it's such a great example of having to go through something. People want a back door or a shortcut and 
knew that there wasn't one. Like, he literally had to just show up and be present and go through it to get to the other side of it. There was no back door. And a lot of people with their trauma are looking for a back door, a shortcut to not really go through the pain to get to the other side to the peace. That's exactly. true. It's like if you could go to like any other thing other than my emotions, I'll do that thing. Like you know, like yeah. let me make myself busy. <laughs> what do I gotta do? I gotta go buy ten boxes of cookies from the Girl Scouts. Okay, I'm gonna yeah. buy twenty boxes. I just don't want to deal with my feelings. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, Tani, thank you for sharing this uh, in our conversation this evening. Uh, We definitely, you know, grief visits us unexpectedly in lots of ways. You know, you don't expect to have a life-changing accident that changes your body, you know, Um, and that happens every day to people in terms of kind of it being a, a more extreme version of life change. It's not putting in a resignation at work and deciding to go, you know, off in a different direction. That happens every day too. But the the kind of experience that you're not in control of, such as a, a car accident, um, that you know, all of a sudden it's at your door, it's in your lap, and you're in it. Exactly. Well, I'm going to put you back on the listener line, and again, thank you for uh, sharing of your intimate process. All right. So, yeah, I mean, every day, uh, you know, a million and one stories. Uh, you know, part of the, the challenge then is like, uh, what you say, 2006 was her accident, and, and she took it as a point to then begin to pass the wisdom forward at a, some point. Uh, not everybody does that, right? It's not something you have to do. It's like, oh, I figured out how to grieve, and this is what I did. Now you do it too. That's That's not for everybody. But I think that we deploy those personal skills that we develop when we have a friend or loved one who we observe being impacted by grief and sadness. We can turn those skills into like an actionable way to have the conversation. Uh, You know, again, that relatability factor, I see what you're going through and I went through something similar can you hear me and can I say the right thing to you in this moment that will help you kind of open the door maybe a little bit to recognize that you might be experiencing unprocessed grief as well? Yeah, and giving giving your pain purpose is something also that helps you move through the pro- – like, let me see, that gives you the courage and the strength to move through your pain. So me, one of the reasons I wanted to move through my pain is because, like, I had this deep desire that I wanted to help others. And so, like, that kept me pushing forward to heal stuff that came up because I didn't want to be healing, you know, trying to heal people. And I'm still got, a, you know, a messy past and things I'm working through and 
just the way that it, it might show up in my, my culture relationship. And I had a, a client who she didn't plan on being a coach or anything, but once she worked through her past, she knew that she just wanted to, like if somebody came to her in her office and they were struggling, she knew she wanted to mentor them and to like help people not be afraid of their own pain. So when she just someone, like now that I know how to be with my pain, I can help others learn to be okay in their pain. And so people come to her office at her job, they just know, like, she's the person to go talk to when you're struggling with something. And, like, that has given a lot of purpose to, like, what she went through. Yeah. And, you know, that's uh, the other author, she she wrote a book out of it, right? And sometimes you see people who start, like, a, a nonprofit for the purpose of, of helping others like them who were in it. But I would say that, like, a large number of people, the purpose is not going to be that. It's really going to be, like, how can I just function better and find my happy again because I used to recognize it in myself and I'm not there now, you know. And that's perfectly okay, too. Not all of us are flag wavers. (laughs) Yeah, that that is that is very true. And there is nothing wrong with doing this solely for you so that you can feel better, so that you can really fully enjoy your human experience because it is hard to enjoy the human experience with you know, when you're weighed down by trauma and other, you know, heavy emotions. Mhm. Can you provide any or share your thoughts about how we can speak to those that we might think are going through something that is sad or uh, a grief, you know, because a lot of us stumble over words and we say, oh, you know, sorry for your loss you know, oh, they're in heaven now, or, you know, oh, I hate that you lost your job, but that's kind of like where our awkward begins, and it's like, I think they're upset, but I don't want to pry. Like, how how can we begin to negotiate a conversation with people? Do you have any ideas? I would just say to start by, you know, ask them do they want to talk or letting them know you're there if they want to talk because when my dad passed I didn't really want I didn't want to talk about it uh, maybe to my my sister my half sister um, I wanted to talk to her but really anybody else I just I didn't want to I wanted to be um, to myself and I can remember a friend um, you know like wanting me to talk about it and and it wasn't from an unhealthy place. It was just like it just felt so sacred and personal to me at that moment that I didn't want to talk about it. Mm-hmm. it but also knowing that she was there, so when I was ready to talk about it, I knew that I could go to her. You know what I mean? So, like, just even just letting people know that you're there for them. And I like to say, I know that there's nothing that I can say that will take your pain away. But there's mm-hmm. anything I can do or anything you need from me, like mm-hmm. I'm I'm here. And I just like to extend myself 
in that way. But I will be honest and say that a lot of times when people, you know, pass away or I see people post things on Facebook about, you know, an ill family member or a family member passing away, I do go into the teenager, into that freeze. Mm-hmm. That is my friend where I don't know what to say. But then, mm-hmm. like, when my inner wisdom comes back and if it's somebody, you know, that I'm close to or friends with in some way, like, I will, like, maybe message them or something and say, just, you know, know that I'm here for you, like, seriously, if you, you know, you need a ear, mm-hmm. you need a shoulder. Mm-hmm. I had a good therapist that worked with me back when I was working through my codependency issues that was like, you know, ask the person and just find out what they need, if anything. Don't assume, don't try to project Mm -hmm. into their grief experience and feel all this imagined sorrow on their behalf. It's like not cool. That's not cool. It's just not healthy, right? Um, And so... Mm -hmm. I have switched as I've learned how to be more balanced in my emotional support with people, right? <laughs> but part mm-hmm. of the reaction is, like, if I step into that uh, codependent thing and I'm like, okay, no, no, no. So what I probably end up doing is being a little more pushy in saying, you know what, if you, you need to talk to somebody, like, you know, like, don't, I always push people to therapy or counselors or coaches. So I know at least three or four people who have specifically and repeatedly have said, you know, you should check out Essence. The information that she gave on her show was really helpful. And if you look at her body of work and the things she's doing, I think you might, you know, be able to find some help with her. So it's like I'm not trying to be the person they do the work with, but in observing mm-hmm. that work to be beneficial, I do constantly make information referrals. <laughs> like, hey, it's been six months, you know, you might want to talk to somebody. And when I get the back off, I can receive that. But I'm still going to then come back around probably in another six months if, if it's still kind of something that I'm feeling. Like, have you considered talking about this with a professional? Uh, you know, honestly, I think that that's part of the evolution of what we're doing as a society is saying it's okay to talk to a professional, it's okay, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Uh, well, this, I just wanted to say that um, th- this is the exact reason why I will be starting either like you know a video podcast on YouTube or audio or both because not everybody is you know gonna just right off the bat be ready to get help. But I I just also don't think there's enough, there cannot be enough conversations online, you know, where people are having these deep conversations about healing and processing and just like the, the, the real life experiences and where people are sharing their real life experiences and things that they've gone through. I just don't think there could be enough of them because the way Sharon may need to hear something maybe different than the way Rhonda needs to hear something mm-hmm. and may not resonate with such and such as podcast or such and such as you to chat. Right. So I just uh so it's just the conversations I've been having lately, like one lady told me like all six of my sisters need your help. Well probably mm. all six 
aren't going to hire me, but she could direct them to my show if I have one. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Absolutely, and that's what this is. You know, these are go- these are reference uh, sessions, basically like a book on the virtual shelf that. I plan on, you know, sending out his link oh, and it will always exist. Like, go check out this conversation yeah. with uh, Essence. We talked about, you know, processing of grief and abandonment wounds and, you know, what that could look like. Perfect, perfect resource. It's timely. It's, there's no expiration date on what we've been chatting about. And uh, I know and I have a spiritual trust that it will, it is being done for specific people at some future point to find, to be their lifeline that will lead them into a different experience. Absolutely. Like the, the things, these things that you're talking about, they are timeless and more, it's, it's like more and more people are going to need this these conversations because more and more people are waking up. So it's not mm-hmm. like we're talking about cassette tape, you know, <laughs> just like right, you know, right. humans feeling, evolving, waking up, processing emotions or tapping into their psychic abilities. Like that is just going to keep continuing the, mm-hmm. the, as, as time unfolds. So yes, what you are doing is so important because these conversations are just going to, they're, they can't, they're not out, they're never going to be outdated. Right. Absolutely. I mean, think about like what our parents and grandparents, there was no EQ or emotional intelligence conversations at all. And when the whole self-help of the 80s era started booming with books that you could go get about codependent no more and on death and dying and how to be an emotionally sensitive parent, all those kind of things were part of this evolution that is still continuing from now we've got Instagram therapists and mindful minutes and tool teaching, like hitting a pillow with a racket in, in three minutes, little morsels of wisdom that we are getting. In some cases, whether you are ready for it or not, if you're subscribed to somebody, you're going to get it. You know what I'm saying? So I think it's a great time to, to be experiencing all of this. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm, I'm so happy to be a part of this conversation and to see how it has evolved. Since I, like I started my healing journey in 2012 and it was feel like all of this was kind of hush hush or like, really, you're doing some healing work, you know, and now it's just kind of the norm. Even if the person isn't doing it, it's still like they still kind of get what it is or why you'd be doing it. It's not mm-hmm. so taboo anymore to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned your clients. You don't just speak with women. You work with men as well, right? Um, I have. I don't say that I do, but I will. My only caveat is that the, the men have to be willing to get in touch with their emotions. That's the the only thing that really stops me from going all in with working um, with men is that um, I have had experiences where it's hard to get to the root, to get information out of them, and that is very draining for my energy. So I don't Mm want to pull 
things out of anyone because that is pulling on my energy. I want to, you know, ask questions. I want the person to, you know, feel safe to open up and share. And so I did have, um, I have had two guy clients that were just so beautiful in that, like they'd never done anything like this, but it was just like they felt safe and they really wanted to get to the other side of what they were going through. So they didn't hold back at all. They didn't hold back the tears. They didn't hold back what they were feeling. And it, they both led to beautiful results. And was grief part of what they were processing? Yeah, so, yeah, both was with relationship stuff. So mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, mm. Absolutely. And, and a lot of people, they don't really know the we don't get to see the effects of breakup or divorce or separations like and how the the men handle it and they yeah. don't they don't have the resources to really help them handle and process their emotions so they just kind of shut down so it's really beautiful to see them like showing up for themselves and and want to process and get to the other side of their heartbreak mhm um that's wonderful and Actually, you know, in this series of conversations, I am being, you know, very purposeful and having a spectrum of conversational voices. And so um, one of the upcoming sessions is going to be for men and by men with no, not any kind of feminine shaping of the male experience. We're going to get an opportunity to hear from them. I've got uh, two panelists I know. Uh, my one dear friend, Garrick, Dr. Garrick White, he's a licensed clinical social worker, and he uh, works also in the Atlanta public school system. So not only is he versed in, like, the masculine kind of therapy and client work, but also in boys and in terms of youth populations. And so, you know, respecting the difference of gender and how we kind of work, move through the world differently, I'm sure he'll have some very deep insights for us about what happens emotionally for men, you know. So I'm looking forward to that as well. And, um, you know, for essence, people who want to get in touch with you and look at doing some work for you, first of all, I like radical forgiveness and the coaching sessions, what what does that look like with you? You've mentioned like three and six months and like are you know, are you you seeing each other seeing somebody weekly or monthly and I know you give them homework because you said journaling is part of it, you know. So like what does a typical client experience with you look like? So um I do either bi-weekly or three times a month. I, I, I recommend three times a month. I used to do weekly, but I, the deep work that I do, I find actually us having that week off break is really refreshing and rejuvenating um, to have, you know, this um, extra week of space. And sometimes they might need to catch up on homework Um so, yeah, so I've moved to primarily three times a month. And basically what that looks like, so the beginning process is basically a person knows that they aren't feeling the way that they want to feel. <laughs> mm-hmm. Or they 
creating what they want to create in their life and they know that something is probably blocking them, don't really know what, or they know what it is, but just don't know how to move through it. So that's how it begins. And then mm-hmm. again, we start off with the shadow work, which is the, the deep dive into um, some of your experiences, experiences with your mother, experiences with your father, experiences with yourself and your relationship with yourself, um, experiences in your relationship. So it's like we kind of, we compile all this information and then we, like I can really see where we need to begin or which situation or event will actually knock over the several mm-hmm. dominoes, you know, because mm-hmm. people they look at this list and like, oh my gosh, I have so many things to work through. And I'm like, that's not the case. Because actually mm-hmm. when I worked on my father's issues, it collapsed a lot of my grief and heartbreak mm-hmm. in other relationships because they were all still like the underlying thing was I felt abandoned and unloved. So when I healed my abandoned love feelings with my dad, it collapsed a lot of, you know, my previous mm-hmm. relationships. And I, I could see the gift in them, and I could feel the forgiveness without having to do the work on them individually. So mm-hmm. when we have that, um, all that information, I can see what's going to give us our biggest bang for our book, and mm-hmm. we start there. But mm-hmm. also if something's present for them, let's say somebody has father or mother wound issues, but they also just had a recent breakup, we'll always pretty much start with what's present for you, what's hurting you now, and mm-hmm. then we'll end up back into, you know, the, the past things. But so that is basically how it starts um, with the shadow work, and then we go into the deep healing. And there's always some sort, even if we're working on someone else, there's always some sort of self-forgiveness and self-love work that needs to happen because mm-hmm. we develop about ourselves based on previous relationships with uh, parents or family or in, uh, you know, elementary school. And there's some healing we have to do in our relationship with ourselves. And then there comes the piece of like embodying this change of being mm-hmm. this person you want to be and so it's like there's this accountability piece for instance like I spoke about my client who wanted to start the podcast and so like there's like you've done all this work to be the person who can show up and share her voice now what might be in the way from you for you doing that and like holding the space and clearing the blocks for you to be this person that you know that you're meant to be and for some people like one lady it was just like I want to one day be able to call my mom. I had my mom and dad haven't spoken to them in three years. And so, like, I was there at the end of all the work to hold that space of courage for her to call her parents, right? Mm-hmm. So for everyone, that embodiment piece of you being this, this new person and how she acts and what she does is going to look different. But I feel like that's important to, to do these actions to submit in this new whole healed version of you. Mhm. You know, it's like we get our training wheels, right? And then to know like that there's somebody there still to hold us because that first conversation isn't going to be like awesome. You know what I'm saying? It's, right. it's probably going to be pretty exhausting. And then we might think, oh, boy, darn it, I wish I would have done, or, you know, oh, my God, it made me feel this way. And to have the container uh, of support 
companion in the work to be able to then whew, let's okay, okay, let's let's go over this again. Okay, I'm gonna need another <laughs> series of months before I can do that again. Like you know what I'm saying? It's not always just perfectly I got it now, you know. Yes. Um uh, and, and another piece with that is I with with the three sessions a month I was like I also offer Voxer coaching which basically is you have access to me 24/7 uh, I may not respond at midnight but you can definitely mm-hmm. leave me a message but um like we're always in constant contact I, I don't want my clients feeling like they're on this journey alone so mm-hmm. I have where we can um, walkie-talkie each other through the week if you're struggling with something or even have a celebration. But a lot of the time in the beginning, it's like during the initial struggle where they're having thoughts of guilt or shame. You know, I'm mm-hmm. feeling this emotion. I'm not said to sit with it, but it doesn't feel comfortable. What should I do? And I can, like, walk them through it mm-hmm. in real time. Um, so a lot of big breakthroughs actually come in between the sessions, like when they're really living it and then mm-hmm. get to reach out to get help while they're in the midst of it. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like a, a wonderful opportunity for a person who wants to, you know, who's resonating with this conversation or knows someone who might benefit from this type of work. You can start pulling Essence's card out of your pocket like I do all the time <laughs> and saying, you need to call Essence, you know what I'm saying? Uh, so, I, you know, I think that there's so many, and, and I know you're like this, you don't have to come to me, but go to somebody. Like, you know, the clients that come to you are for you, and you'll refer somebody to another practitioner if it's not, like, the resonant work to be done. That doesn't mean the work can't be done. That means it just maybe I'm not the person to skill build with you. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, it, it's so important to whoever you feel um, called to work with, reach out to them. It, it it just matters that you get the help that you need so that, like, you can live the life that you're meant to live. Because I know what it's like to live a life in pain and in shame and in grief, and it doesn't feel good. So whoever you need to reach out to to get out of that place, if that's where you are, then please, you know, find your person. Mm-hmm. And like you said, just it doesn't need to be unspoken, you know, it can be until you're ready, but like, like, just take the time to at least speak it to yourself, you know, as, as you've shared essence first, and then maybe through that initial conversation with yourself, you'll be able to talk yourself into then opening up your intimate world to another trusted person or practitioner to do more work with them. Joelle, you just said a word right there because before I ever worked with anyone else, I was working with the angels. I didn't, it was just felt like the right thing for me to do. I didn't know a lot about angels, but I just, I would write to them in my journal and I would tell them how I was hurting or I would write to God. I would like light a candle, just like ritualize it, light a candle and just write. And then I would read it out and 
and I might just be like, Archangel Michael, please just lay your hands on me and heal me. And I'll just like lay there for 15 or 20 minutes and trust that I was receiving some type of angelic healing. But like me doing that, then like within a year or so gave me the courage to have my own coach. Mm -hmm. It was a year. It wasn't overnight, right? You know? Yeah. Nope. It wasn't. It wasn't overnight. Um, it wasn't even in my awareness really to get help. But then once I worked with myself enough and could see that I keep coming up against the same obstacles that I didn't know how to get myself through, then that's when it was like the download of like, oh, maybe I can get some help. Maybe someone can help me with this. And then mm-hmm. it was just like, so when I was ready, it just dropped in, and I listened. So that's a big piece. Is like when that part speaks that it's ready, it no longer wants to be unspoken, it wants to speak, it wants to get help, then it's like your job to reach out and find your person to work with you mm-hmm. in the, to help. Mm-hmm. Well, anybody who's listened to this conversation, if there has been a spark in you, a vibration, an aha moment, or an opening of your energy towards having further conversations with Essence, uh, please do follow that little urging and spark. It will not hurt you to reach out and have a conversation or drop an email, uh, you know, and it may not be ripe yet, and that's okay, but don't discount if you did feel kind of a connection through the conversation that we've had to go ahead and pull that thread and see where it takes you. So, Essence, how can people get in contact with you? So you can um, visit my website, EssenceTurner.com. It is uh, currently under construction, but there's still a contact box. So if you want to contact me, even if it's just to share insight or aha from tonight, please feel free. But also if you um, want more information on what a consultation looks like or want to set it up, you can also just write that in the um, the box, the um the the comment box on my website contact contact form on my website also on um, social media I am at beautiful happy goddess uh, on Facebook and Instagram so feel free to message me and follow me there I will follow you back Uh, yeah so those are the three ways to get in contact with me Yes, and I can, as I said earlier, follow her on social media if you're that kind of a person who's who's out there in those uh, venues, because those little mini minutes, and you know she has walking meditate or walking thoughtful shares as you're out in nature, and then practical tools. I can vouch for the the high nutritional value, let's put it that way, of your content. It's uh, definitely got the vibrarian seal of approval because I pay attention to it myself, you know. So uh, that's, that's a personal and professional recommendation, of course. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, Essence, I thank you for this dialogue and for speaking up about the 
unspoken aspects of your journey and how you actually practically healed and moved through that in your own personal way and now are helping other people do that as well. Well, it's been my pleasure. Thank you for having me again. Uh, I'll, I'll come back whenever you invite me. Um, I, I love our conversations and I really uh, honor you for the work that you're doing in the world. Oh, well, and if we can, we're going to have to talk about your upcoming podcast because I would love to be able to, you know, support your efforts in having your own conversations. And if nothing else, I'll subscribe. But, you know, if there's some way that I can uh, support that effort in a larger sense, I would love to do that because this is, I'm sure that you will be bringing uh, strong content that I will learn from myself. So I'm excited and will definitely be staying tuned for your uh, new expansions in that area. Well, thank you for that, and I'll definitely keep you posted. Wonderful. So, everyone, we will be back um, probably next Thursday. I'm waiting for the confirmation for my uh, guest, uh, um, Garrick. And he will be, again, focusing on the masculine experiences of grief. And uh, we've in the future sessions, we've got, uh, I think, a return visit from Kalina Brown. Um, and we're going to examine our beliefs about the non-death side of grief, uh, which we touched on a little bit here as well this evening. And then uh, I've got a conversation lined up with uh, Kate's Club which is a, a nonprofit that helps to support families when there has been an immediate loss, um, especially focused on children and what happens when, a, you know, a parent or sibling dies and to, to support those kids by connecting with other kids who are also going through something similar as a way to really be effective. And then we are going to have a conversation about medicine and uh, the emergence of things such as psychedelics, mushrooms, um, ayahuasca, some of the more uh, woo-woo type of things that are out there uh, because we are also in an emerging conversation Whereas we've been using medications to numb and dull or using substances such as alcohol and marijuana, other harder drugs to numb our emotions, there is now a shift towards how can we beneficially use things like plant medicine and shamanic work to really go in deep to pass the barriers of the mind that may prevent us from truly recognizing the wounds that are at our core self. So I've got a couple of people lined up for that conversation as well, but that'll be a few more weeks from now before that comes in. So I just am so thankful to be in a position to have this platform and to then make this information available. It makes my little librarian heart happy, which increases my vibrarian influence, right? So uh, thank you, Essence, and all of you who have tuned in. Just say something 
find your your trusted person, find your moment with yourself and say it even out loud, like I'm sad or I'm angry. I have grief. And that those three little words can open up a whole process for you that I think will you'll be pleased after you've gone through the work, you'll be pleased at where you end up from that point. So Essence, thank you, everyone. Have a beautiful week, and I hope that you have abundant blessings and that those blessings spill out from you and then bless the world around you. Namaste.